One year, I kind of got an idea. You almost try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Purpose and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perp Lennon's articles, the Perp Lennon's ads. information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bush of sand and dirt, you got bog they started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Great to be here. Great to have you here. The podcast is brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotts Bros have a full line of traps and supplies. They have lures and baits books and DVDs, everything you need to get started, and a lot of you guys have been going to Cotsboro's and supporting them. I appreciate that. We're also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. You can find them at furharvesters.com. Lots of things going on at FHA. They are the premier wild fur auction company, uh, the only one standing now in, in a very difficult market, and they're expanding. So there's a lot going on to talk about here. I'll go into this press release from Fur Harvesters. It seems like every few days now we get an update from FHA. So on November 22nd, 2019 for immediate release, Fur Harvesters Auction is pleased to announce that we have taken over NAFA's former Western Canada Wild Fur Operations Building in Winnipeg, Manitoba. In an effort to continue servicing the trappers of Western Canada in a fashion they are accustomed to, we're very pleased to announce the operation will be run by Mary Schellenberg. Mary was general manager of NAFA's Western Canada Wild Fur Operations for many years and is highly respected and competent in all aspects of running this operation. We welcome Mary to the Fur Harvesters team. This operation will be the collection hub for all Western shipments destined for North Bay. All skins arriving in Winnipeg will be received and ticketed with FHA traceability barcode tags, after which everything will be shipped on to FHA headquarters for final processing for auction. The only exception will be Western Coyotes, which will remain in Winnipeg to be drummed and graded. Darcy Lachance will be in charge of putting up our Western Coyote assortment. Darcy is well respected as having been NAFA's lead Western Coyote grader for the past many years. We welcome Darcy to the Fur Harvesters team. We're confident this news will solidify confidence in all coyote producers of Western Canada as well as the vast number of international coyote buyers that know Darcy. The international buying trade has always paid a solid premium for graded goods at auction. This will continue because the demand remains for a quality auction grade with a certified branded reputation. 
As well, this new Western Canadian operation will operate a FHA Trans-Canada Trapline Supply Store in an effort to further service the trappers in the West. In closing, I personally want to welcome trappers of Western Canada and state that our business was built by trappers and our doors remain open to all trappers. We are in the business of selling fur, not buying fur, as our end game is to achieve the highest price possible for our shippers. Service has always been our priority, and that's what you will receive whether you ship a bag of fur or a truckload. So that's from Mark Downey at Fur Harvester's Auction. And I think we'll continue to see this. Uh, <clears throat> FHA will will pick up a lot of the market share that NAFA has left behind um, going out of business. And uh, you're going to see Grunwald Fur and Wool uh, do the same. They'll, they'll be picking up a lot of that business as well. I want to thank Fur Harvesters for sponsoring the podcast. I want to thank you guys for supporting them. I would encourage you to ship some fur there this year if you haven't before and give them a shot. Um, you can find all the details on their website. Um, if you don't ship to Fur Harvesters, or you, you don't want to ship fur, or you don't want to ship all your fur, which I would recommend. I wouldn't recommend necessarily sending all your fur to one place. It's always good to check other things out. Um, Grunwald Fur and Wool is a good option to look at, and they have expanded their fur routes, and they'll continue to expand them uh, to try and pick up a lot of this uh, business that NAFA has left behind. <clears throat> so this is just a list of the states that they are running routes in, and I suspect there will be states added. They've also talked about doing a Canada loop, and uh, and they are <clears throat> they have added uh, some states in the east as well. Actually, don't see this on here, but they it looks like they'll be going into Pennsylvania as well this year. So in the Midwest, <clears throat> they have routes in Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. In the East, they go to Georgia, Maryland, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. In the South, well, I, Georgia's kind of the South, I would have thought, but... In the south, they go to Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Texas. And in the west, Minnesota, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. <clears throat> that route is run by Colt Furs. So uh, there, there is uh, a lot going on, and, and don't worry, you will find a place to sell your fur. Uh, the prices will probably still be low, but like I've mentioned before, I think we are in a bottom. We're hopefully entering a turning point. It's just a matter of when these prices will start to recover. So what I thought I'd do tonight is just go over a little bit of what's going on on my trap line recently. And then I thought I would go into the coyote trap line this fall because it is the first time I've coyote trapped in a long time and I've learned a lot of new things. I've remembered things that I'd forgotten before and recognize different things. So I thought for those of you who want to learn more about coyote trapping or maybe pick up a few ideas, or you're just kind of interested in, in how it worked out, let's uh, let's go into it. So that'll be in a few minutes, but first, just a little update. I actually have fur in the fur shed, believe it or not. <clears throat> so it's nice to be around this time of year when the fur is kind of coming in here, here and there, and uh, I, I've been at work kind of keeping the fire going here, trying to dry hides out and and uh, work for its skin and flesh and stretch and do all that thing. So I've got oh, probably 10 or 12 muskrats hanging up here uh, from nails on the wall. I have uh, five martin that are on stretchers. i got a fisher on a stretcher. 
Those guys are pretty well dried, ready to be taken off. Got another Martin and a Weasel to come in. Got a couple Weasels out outside of the door here. I've got uh, one, two, three, four, four, seven or eight beavers that have been dried and uh, all taken care of and pulled off the boards and brushed out. And I kind of just got them set in here. I've got another six beavers that are on boards that are in the process of drying. Four beavers on the floor of the shed that I'm going to start working on when uh, when we get done this podcast tonight. And then I actually have a, a bag with a f- two or three big beaver skins that I, I skinned out and had in the freezer from earlier this season. And, and I'm just, I've got them thawed out now and I got to flush those and board them as well. So kind of just, just taking a few out at a time. I have uh, getting to coyote trapping in a minute. I have nine coyote pelts that are in the freezer ready to come out and I got some work to do on them. I just skinned them and fleshed them, rolled them up and put them in the freezer until I had had more time to work on fur. Um, but the big news this week is the Martin and Fisher trap line. I officially pulled that line yesterday. So that was a very challenging thing. It was a tough decision because I had a lot invested in getting that line out. But uh, Mother Nature kind of helped make that decision as well as just uh, what was going on as far as catches. So this is one of those years where there's a lot of food in the woods. Martin and Fisher are not as readily coming into the baits. And with these Lynx exclusion devices, as you've heard me talk about before, especially two years ago, it was very difficult to get them in the boxes. This last round of checks was kind of the final straw of frustration. I had um, five instances where I had Martin tracks, fresh Martin tracks. Now, I got a bunch of snow. I checked on snowmobile, and uh, I don't know if we talked about that last episode, but I I don't know. We didn't. Um, My truck broke down in the woods. I limped back to town, uh, got my snowmobile and my wife's Jeep, threw that on a trailer, and towed it out with the jeep back in the woods and checked all the the whole trap line on snowmobile. Um, I got the truck back, four chains, and just barely made it through in four-wheel drive with all four tires chained up. Um, this uh, this would have been yesterday, and it was it was tough conditions, tough going, but we did have fresh snow, so we could see what was going on, you know, at the sets. And I had five separate instances where Martin walked in, smelled my long-distance call lure. They walked in, they smelled the bait, they saw the box, they circled the box, they walk up uh, two or three time instances. There were tracks right at the entrance of the box, like an inch away from the entrance of the box. Martin tracks on top of the box. A couple times Martin peed next to the box and just would not go in. There was they can fit they can fit through that opening that's designed to keep links out but allow Martin to go in they can fit there technically but if they're not hungry it's kind of hard to get them to go so I had I caught one Martin and if this had been if 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 I wasn't required to use these boxes I would have caught five I should have come home with five Martin and that would have been one heck of a nice catch you know a five Martin day off of about 40 traps that would have been awesome Um, I would have been really happy I would have paid some bills paid the gas money for the last couple of trips Um, the last trip I caught one one Martin um, 
I think I got a Martin and a Weasel last time. This time I got a Martin and a Weasel. But basically we got to the point where it's it's costing me about $50 in gas every time I, I run this line. And I get to run it twice a week to uh, stay legal. And I'm getting averaging like a Martin per check. So I'm spending minimum $50 in a full day gone. And I'm getting a $30 Martin every time. So it's great. It's fun. I know I lo- losing money trapping is not a new thing. This is this is something that's happened for a long time. But it, you start to think twice after, you know, you spend a, enough time losing money time after time. It's like, all right, at some point you kind of got to pull the plug. And when you have a case where the Mart, you know you're in Martin country, which I was, the Martin are there. Um, they're coming to the sets. Uh, they're just not not taking that for making that final commitment. Uh, things just just weren't meant to be, and so maybe a little later on this season they will they'll be more willing to come into the baits. Uh, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, this was last year. I probably would have, based on results last year, with the amount of Martin I had on my line last year, I have way more Martin where I'm trapping this year than I had last year. I probably would have had about would have about 15 martin right now um, but th- but this is this is a tough year uh, next year it'll be back to being one of those good years not a lot of food in the woods and lots of martin coming into the boxes and we'll be all excited again um, but but yeah it's it's a little tough in the slow years it takes a lot of work and uh, i'm not sure what i'm going to do i've got all the boxes stacked up in the bed of the pickup truck right now i i thought about going out tomorrow actually had a lot of work to do today. I ended up slaughtering a steer here at the farm, and so I had to deal with that and and uh, get all that meat and prepared and taken care of and stored properly so that we can have our winter meat. And so that was time-consuming, and then I got thinking about it and probably won't go out tomorrow. I think I'm going to give it some time. Maybe I'll give it a week. Uh, maybe during Thanksgiving here I'll, I'll go back out and decide, but I think what I'll do is probably set a line a little closer to home and so uh, even with low catch rates uh, at least I will won't, won't be spending as much money losing as much money on the trap line um, that's you know it's always fun trapping but but you can only do so much sometimes when you get a single income you're supporting a wife and two kids and you get all kinds of other things going on it's uh, not always the easiest thing but anyway um, I had a lot of fun I took uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of videos, beautiful, beautiful area, and uh, did did make some catches that uh, that I enjoyed, and uh, and and had had a good time. Found, you know, identified a lot of habitat. Was able to see a lot of Martin tracks and in a few Fisher tracks, so that was good. Um, in the meantime, I did go out with my boy, and we set some traps here around the farm. We I had some sets that I had pulled last week and we had uh, we threw about we threw six boxes uh, on this the tote sled behind the Yamaha Bravo and we jumped on the sled and we just rode around the farm and we we made some sets so the night before we set these I, there was a fresh Fisher track uh, Fisher had gone all around the farm had done a, a bunch of hunting and gone through a, a whole d- bunch of different areas so we had lots of tracks to set on that was kind of neat and we set those up here we're going to check those traps every three days in town and so uh, we went and checked them um, 
on our third day, we caught a weasel. Actually, took both boys. They were all excited. They, the little guy, would not be left behind. He refused. Um, so we we did uh, we did get a weasel. That was pretty awesome. And then uh, the the next night after we checked those, I get home from work. And of course, you know it's dark at four o'clock here now. So I get home from work uh, five o'clock, and it was pitch black. And the boys said they both wanted to go check traps. And I said. We just checked traps last night. What do we need? We don't need to check traps tonight. And, oh, they they were on and on, and, and uh, it's hard to say no to a couple youngsters that want to go check traps. So we we got bundled up and uh, jumped on the snowmobile and rode around. And in set number five, we had a fisher. I'm sure it was that fisher that whose tracks we'd seen a few days before. So that was that was awesome. That was really exciting. If you go on my YouTube channel, I actually did a video of us coming up to that fissure and, and uh, uh, the exciting times that were had there. So, so yeah, had a had a little bit of fun there, and and that didn't cost a thing. You know, that was just bombing around here around the house, and it's nice that you can catch fur sometimes close by and and have a good time and and enjoy yourself and still trap. So yeah, anyway, I got a lot of fur to work up here, having fun with that um, in between things with the line. But uh, uh, as we move on, uh, you know, I'll, st- I'll still have traps on the ground. Got lots of plans this season. It's not over. Um, sometimes you, you know, you go and you set traps. You go hard for a week or two, three weeks sometimes. In this case, it was about three. And uh, you kind of slow down a little bit and you pull things and then that's it for the season. But uh, I've got a lot going on. You're going to hear a lot about trapping here in in the coming weeks, uh, weeks and months, no doubt about it. So anyway, let's let's uh, get into this coyote trapping. The last time I ran a line specifically for coyotes, I was in high school, believe it or not. That was back in the early 2000s. And I've trapped a little bit here and there, off and on for coyotes since then. But never did I run a trap line specifically to catch coyotes. So this was uh, a kind of a, a rebirth of all of these ideas and thoughts that I had back when I, when I was coyote trapping back then. And kind of combining all that with what I've learned in the meantime from books, videos, other trappers, talking to old timers, watching demos and uh, all of the new gear and equipment that's come on the market since then or become more popular since then. So just a little flashback to the way I trapped four coyotes back when I started. Um, my mentor was a guy named Dona Sear, and he had trapped from way back in the day. He was a big Craig O'Gorman guy. He had all O'Gorman's lures and books, and, and uh, he'd done everything short of taking instruction from O'Gorman. He was a big, big fan, and uh, he he had that O'Gorman confidence where he was going to go out there and absolutely destroy it, uh, catch tons and tons of coyotes, and uh, he, he put in the work, and he did extremely well uh, as a result. But we did things a lot differently back then. So the the traps, the traps were different. We primarily used number two... Northwoods and Victors. Uh, we hated the number two Victors, uh, the square jaws. They just coyotes tore them apart. We had several of them get dismantled <laughs> by coyotes, but they were what we had. We had number number two Montgomery step in, 
traps. Those were a really good trap. The Northwoods were a good trap. And uh, we had some Blake and Lambs, some one and three quarter and number two Blake and Lambs. So those were, for the for the time, those were pretty good coyote traps. We, we didn't have much for really big ones. We had a few number threes. But uh, in the meantime, since that, since those days, uh, two major things have happened. We first off have now have jaw spread restrictions here in Maine that requires a five and three eighths or less inside jaw spread for for traps. Um, and so those number two bridgers and number two Northwoods are now not legal here, unless you do some inside lamination work to them. And also there have been innovations in trap design and new traps coming out of the market. And most specifically, we now have the MB550, which which has really revolutionized things. So, so the difference between then and now is uh, I had uh, a little bit more of a restricted window in the types of traps I could use and the size of traps I could use, but I also had an option of some pretty awesome traps. So I had the two the two traps that I used this round. I actually had a couple of holdover old traps that I used, but I had like oh, what I had, I had 30 traps in my arsenal, I guess. Um, uh, actually, 36. I had 36 traps in my arsenal, and of those, two dozen of them were MB550s that I purchased this year. Got a great deal from Cots Bros. Uh, big shout out to those guys. They got one of the best prices, and and they ship them to you right quick. And I had a half a dozen of the K9 Extreme traps from Kendall Obermeyer at No BS Lures. Uh, the Extreme Juniors. The Extreme Juniors do fit our jaw spread restrictions, even though they're a pretty big trap, rugged, heavy-duty trap. And then I had about half a dozen of a mix of number three, number three Victor or... Uh, Duke round jaws because they do fit our our jaw spread restrictions for a number three and a couple of number two Bridger or Northwoods with inside jaw laminations. So, so that's pretty much what I have, but the majority of what I used was 550s. And I've got to tell you, I this was the first time that I used MB 550s and I am extremely, extremely pleased with the quality of that trap. Um, it, it is it, it, it is ready to go right out of the box. Now the other traps I had, the, the Canine Extremes actually performed extremely well. The Extreme Juniors, they were an awesome little trap. I caught several coyotes on them. Uh, actually, well I caught, uh, I only had six of those traps and I think I caught three coyotes of, of <clears throat> in those traps. Um, of the nine. I caught nine coyotes in nine or ten days on this trap line. So the the canine extremes perform well. The problem with them was the, again I mentioned before, the preparation. They weren't ready to go out of the box. I had issues with extremely high pan tension. Now I did the bowstring wax. I did all that. That didn't work very well. I did have to, uh, I got them four coiled and I had to take uh, two of the springs off, uh, so I brought them back to two coil traps. And once I had them two coiled, I did some filing, I did the waxing, and then I I dipped the full trap in wax. That really brought down the pan tension quite a bit, and I got them around 
Oh, by the time I, after I dipped them the full trap in wax, uh, I had them at probably about two, two and a half pounds, so uh, with with the two coil. So so that was good. The 550s were absolutely out of the box. I never had to do anything to adjust pan tension. Of course, you you can't. There's no pan tension screw on them, so you you have to do some things with the dog. Uh, typically, uh, uh, either some filing or some bending of the dog to adjust pan tension. But um, I didn't have to do a thing. I never touched them. They were right out of the box. They were exactly what I needed. They get the positrip pan system, the night latch, and you just click. They're right there. The pans are all level, right where they needed to be, and it was just like magic. It was perfect. So I, I, I really was happy with the MB 550s. I will be ordering more. The only drawback to the 550 is the jaw spread is a little smaller than I would like to see. So I did have some issues with animals not stepping right exactly on the trap pattern. It would be nice to have another half inch or an inch on the inside of those jaws where where you'd have a better chance of catching an animal. Now in my state that's not really an option so based on the regulations that I have um, the 550 I mean if they up the inside jaw spread by half an inch it'd still be legal here it's four and three quarters right now so five and a quarter would be just about perfect. Um, if they came up with that uh, that would be great, but um, otherwise, uh, I am okay with the MB550. I've sh I found that I can catch coyotes e effectively and efficiently with that trap. I'm very happy with it, and I will continue to use it. I'm going to buy more for next year, so that was good. The ones I got, I got the two-coil uh, offset cast jaws, so they're very... Boy, I, I was extremely happy to see... Um, all of the paws, every catch was humane, no bleeding, um, hardly even any swelling at all on the paws. It was just like, like you'd, you know, like it, it just held, held them there just like a trap is supposed to do. Um, they're really, really a good trap, very, uh, very humane trap and very efficient trap and they hold quite nicely. My plan is to uh, have the two coiled traps that I bought and then over time, over a few years, uh, as those springs start to weaken a little bit, I will get four coil kits for them, and then you know add add on the four coil, and and go with that. But for now, the two coils were from right from the the shop from the factory were more than adequate as far as spring strength. The 550s are a good trap. Um, so so we have in, in general we have much better uh, choice selection of traps. And the other thing that I have been wanting to do is sort of streamline what I have in, for traps. And so the K9 Extreme Juniors have confused me a little bit. They've thrown a wrench into this because I do really like those traps. And I've, I've considered getting some more, even though there are a little extra work. I've considered getting adding some more to my line. But I do like the idea of having just one trap because you get a lot of the muscle memory as far as digging your trap beds and setting your traps and doing your pan tension and your pan covers or whatever you use for pans and with all of that you kind of you kind of develop a system and you 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 can be much more efficient without having to think okay which trap do I have here all right what do I got to do with this I got to dig a different trap bed because this is a different size trap and whatever uh, so so I'm considering going straight MB550s of course these are these and the Extreme Juniors are an expensive trap, 
but um, I'm okay with that if they're gonna uh, stay with me for a long time and and they're gonna work well for me. Um, I did not have any issues with trap theft on the coyote line this year. Um, that I did have theft on the beaver line. I will discuss that in another episode. That was that was uh, frustrating, but I did not have issues with with coyote trap theft. And I was always the first person in the woods every time. And I was up at oh four o'clock in the morning to check my traps. The traps were not too far from home, and so I I was always at my last traps just after just at daylight or just after daylight. So it wasn't. Uh, an issue as far as um, as far as hunters uh, coming in finding traps or other trappers uh, necessarily there wasn't actually wasn't anybody trapping in this area which was pretty pretty exciting um, no other coyote trappers that I ran into so that was traps the second area in which we've seen a lot of developments and a lot of changes since I last was trapping is earth anchors or stakes and when I started, we used 100% rebar, re-rod stakes. And what we would do is we'd take uh, usually either 3 8 or half-inch rebar, and we'd buy them in 10-foot or 10 or 20-foot lengths, and we would cut them into lengths of 18, usually around oh, a few 12-inches, but mostly... 18, 20, 24 inches, depending on the type of ground we were in. And we would weld uh, washers about a half inch down from the end of the stake so you weren't pounding on the weld when you pounded these into the ground. We would have those uh, get bundle them up into bundles uh, of a dozen or a couple dozen, throw them in the truck, and we would use those, um, those rebar stakes. Every, the end of every trap was a double stake swivel, and we would pound in two stakes, kind of cross-pegged in the form of an X, and that was extremely effective. It was also extremely back-breaking, and you had to get them out of the ground at the end of the, the season or whenever you pulled those traps. My, <clears throat> my mentor, he developed a sort of a, he used like a, a hook from a potato, a potato digger hook, and a big piece of cast iron and you developed kind of a sliding system where you could uh, slide you could run that hook onto uh, underneath the washer on your stake and you'd slide this big heavy piece of cast iron up the the metal uh, rod that the hook was attached to and bang against the end of it bang 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 and so you kind of pound backwards and uh, bang that stake uh, out of the ground that worked pretty good, but but again, very uh, very backbreaking at times. And now we're in the era of earth anchors, so I know a few guys still do use rebar, but I'm using 100% earth anchors uh, on on my trap line now, and that worked very well. So uh, one of the things that I did was I went ahead of time, and I got my on my set locations that I identified. I had uh, my earth anchors already pounded into the ground at most of these sets, uh, usually days or a week or two before the opening day of the season. So on opening day, I had my trap bed dug, I had my hole or my backing all in place, and all I had to do was go in and find my, my uh, chain links on the end of my earth anchor and attach my trap to that.
So that was very efficient. Now I did run into a big, big roadblock here. And this is something a little different than what I had done in the past. In the past, I had coyote trapped off the roads a little bit. And so we'd get to the end of the road and go off on a skid trail. Or we'd find an old old road that wasn't traveled much and go trap on there. We'd get off to the side of the road, an old gravel pit or some small opening. But we'd always be close to the woods. And that was good and that worked fine. Um, we did catch... When when I learned to trap, I didn't quite understand this, but I'm learning now. We did tend to catch like more Martin and Fisher by uh, going into the woods a little bit more. You'd still get coyotes, you'd still get foxes, but uh, I've learned since that you can get out way out in the open country and you can avoid uh, catching those animals. And uh, there's something to be said about lynx as well. Lynx do come out in the open, but they they seem to like to uh, to hang out uh, near some cover. And I got a friend who's a really good coyote trapper up here, and he has shared some observations along those lines with lynx. Um, so that was pretty cool. I can say, you know, I didn't catch a single lynx. Uh, I caught nine coyotes. I did not catch, I didn't catch a fox. I didn't catch anything other than the nine coyotes. So uh, no non-targets, which was pretty awesome. So the issue that you run into when you trap on the roads in northern Maine is we have an interesting soil type. We have more rocks than you could ever imagine. Rocks and shale and bedrock and just every, everything it is just it's unbelievable to try to actually pound a hole, uh, pound anything into the ground. And so uh, I, this is another tip from this fellow trapper in my area that helped me out a lot. Uh, I started out and I started with the those Iowa disposable stakes. So those are like the pipe shaped stakes with uh, there's a nut welded onto the center of them and they're, they're cut at an angle on both ends and the nut is where you attach your cable and <clears throat> the the end kind of slides into a driver <clears throat> and you that's how you pound that stake into the ground and then you pull it up and the one of the ends will catch into the dirt and kind of turn that that piece of pipe from vertical to horizontal and then it grabs the rocks and it can't be pulled up through the ground not very easily anyway the first three of those I pounded in the ground the the nut broke off um, this is hard hard ground this is hard ground this is the hardest ground that I ever imagined this year I got wolf fang disposable stakes and I I bought a bunch of wolf fang I bought actually bought uh, Osable it's the same as the wolf fang the the uh, the Osable earth anchors that John Chagnon makes at PCS Outdoors shout out to John he just renewed advertising for PCS and Lennon Lures on trappingtoday.com so check those guys out uh, please support John he, um, they're not on the podcast but uh, he does is a big supporter of the website and let him know that you heard about him from trapping today but uh, I got those and I I pounded those in and they they I'd pound and pound and pound and they just bend flat. They'd bend there. They'd fold up into just a crumpled up piece. And that's some really if you've used those wolf fangs or the osobles, they're really really thick steel and they just couldn't handle it. Uh, the drivers I was destroying drivers. It was just it was unbelievable. I bought a Cold Creek uh, steel uh, hammer. 
um, a trapping hammer with the uh, the claw end for digging and I started digging in some of these uh, rock shale areas trying to dig a bit of a dirt hole and the very first hole that I tried to dig on the in on the edge of a road uh, I bent I bent that hammer right away that's actually something that I went back to um, from the early 2000s and a hammer that a friend of mine had welded at the time it was a high school buddy and he was a trapper he had uh, he was in a welding shop in high school and he welded me up a trapping hammer and he used uh, for the claw portion a piece of spring steel that we had gotten off of a leaf spring on a vehicle I went back to that and I started using that to dig my holes and that that spring steel did not bend or even dent whatsoever that thing was rock solid and I continue to use that 15 17 18 years later now the the cold creek hammer I had to I had to put that on a light duty and it will still dig holes okay but when you get into too many rocks and you're pounding real hard uh, that steel has has bent on me a couple times now <clears throat> the the answer that I found to getting stakes in the ground because again <clears throat> we can't use drags here in my area uh, it's against the law the solution I found came from a fellow trapper up here who's done this fox and coyote thing for several years he said get a half inch masonry bit and a hammer a hammer drill a cordless hammer drill so I went to Lowe's and I got a Hitachi cordless hammer drill I got a half inch masonry bit off of Amazon and you drill holes ahead of time so that you can pound your earth anchors in. And the only earth anchor that I was get able to get to consistently, consistently pound into the ground as hard as I could, pound it even through rocks and through bedrock and did not break was the super stake. These things are very expensive. These things are incredible. I'll provide I'll link to them here in the, the show notes as well as all the other equipment that I'm, I'm mentioning here. Um, but the, the super stake is is uh, just unbelievable how rugged that thing is. And it's all like molded into one piece so there's not any welds that you could worry about, about breaking up. They are, oh, by the time you get them all rigged up you're talking about like two bucks an anchor which which is kind of rough. But I mean they, they work and in this case if you have a spot on a road that you really want to set and there's no other way in, in these conditions that you're going to get an anchor in you can't set there if it's a difference between setting and not setting I'm, I'm gonna go with with the super stake no no question about it on those super stakes I attached um, approximately 14 inches of cable 332 cable Use my bench swaging tool that was really really slick really easy to uh, work with made it quick and then I would attach a machine link chain to the end of that cable the opposite end of the cable stake usually about six inches or so of that machine link chain and so when you pound that stake into the bottom of your trap bed instead of having a little knob or a little uh, end of a cable that's kind of sticking the loop straight up and you got to worry about getting your trap in there and stuff and having that in the way the chain just kind of lays down flat in the bottom of your trap bed and it's really nice 
then you've got an easy place to attach a, uh, a hook. The, um, the other thing that I did was uh, I, I made heavy, heavy use of the Ron's J-Hook tool. And so previously I wasn't really in tune with this. I had, you know, when I was using rebar stakes, you didn't really have to make a connection because you just pounded your stakes through the, the stake swivel. But here where I had the disposable stakes and I didn't, uh, you know, I set them ahead of time. I didn't have the traps attached to them. I had to, um, I had to attach the traps when I went and set on on opening day. And to do that, I was using, uh, I had a swivel on the end of each trap chain, and I'd use a J hook to attach the swivel to the machine link chain on the end of the cable stake or the earth anchor. And this tool, it's uh, Ron's J hook tool. Cotsbros sells it. Uh, most of the trapping supply dealers sell it. It is something I had not used previously and is absolutely essential. Um, it is just the easiest, easiest thing you can imagine. It's like a pair of pliers, but it has it comes to um, they come to a point on each side, and uh, it's a cutter and it's also it, it closes J hooks and opens J hooks. It is just you have you have to use it to understand how invaluable this thing is. But it's real slick. You just get your J hook ready to go in position where you need it to be, and you close it up with the J hook tool. Close it nice and tight, and then at the end when it's time to pull your trap, you use that J hook tool. Uh, run those two points right in the center of the uh, J hook, and it opens it right up, and you can pull it out. So that thing was was pretty essential. The trapping bag to store things in, to store all this equipment. Oh, I should mention the uh, the the super stake drivers. I would get a couple of those if you're getting super stakes and you want to get drivers. I'd get a couple drivers. I mushroom the ends of those drivers. I I mean I pounded hard on these. I bent one of them, actually, uh, believe it or not, and I was able to pound and bend it back a little bit. But I I always had an extra driver in the truck they're only they're less than 10 bucks a piece so they're pretty slick to have around but um, I mean we're pounding hard to get through this stuff and and uh, so so bring an extra driver the good thing about those though is as hard as you pound I was not able uh, to have get in a situation where I could not get the thing uh, up and out um, out of the the earth anchor out of the super stake so as hard even though you pound real hard you don't have to worry about that thing getting pinched into the super stake and not being able to get it out you know that's that's always uh, frustrating when when you're dealing with those things so the trapping bag this i i really got lucky here because i in the past what i would have used what i've used is a couple of five gallon pails and you toss them in the back of the truck and you've got a bunch of stuff hanging out of them you got your lure and bait, you've got a few stakes, you've got a few traps, you get your sifter, your uh, driver, your hammer, and uh, some pan covers maybe. Maybe a few other things, uh, maybe you got a few J-hooks or something. So that's kind of uh, what I would do with 5 gallon pail. And I'd carry that to the set and everything. And, and it was always kind of a hassle. The pail was a little bit small. Uh, every time you set it down, because of the longer tools like your drivers and, and your hammer and stuff would want to would be hanging out the end of the pail if you set it on a little uneven ground it would tip right over and it would be 
always be kind of a, a pain to deal with. So uh, our friend Chris Pope from CoyoteTrappingSchool.com was kind enough to send me his uh, short liner trapping bag that he developed last year. And he sews these things by hand. And they are a long uh, trapping bag made out of this like polyester type material. It's like kind of a rubberized type of material that does not uh, soak up scent. And uh, it's real wa- it's washable and everything. It's real nice. And it's thin, but it's super rugged. So I took that thing and I said, I'm going to use this. And I use equipment hard. I just broke the windshield of my snowmobile this afternoon for no uh, obvious reason. Um, I oh I th- I break thing. I've broke busted five loader cylinders on my little tractor. Um, anything you name it, I can break it. Um, I try not to, but I just can't help myself. I guess I can't get out of my own way. And so I'm hard on equipment. And I'm <clears throat> I'm gonna go hard on this thing. And I didn't say anything about this bag. I I did a review of it on YouTube, and I kind of showed people what it was like, and and said basically I'm gonna try it out. I don't know you know how how it's gonna work just yet, but I like the looks of it. Well, I ran it hard, and I used that thing, and I had it loaded up. I had I had so much stuff in there from the different drivers and earth anchors and traps and and uh, the the hammers, the J-hooks, the tools. I had a lot of weight in that thing. I, and I would just, I'd grab that thing off the back of the truck, I'd yank it around, and I'd run it over to the set, I'd bang it on the ground, and I just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I ran three dozen sets for eight or ten, nine or ten days. Um, and, and every time I'd do anything out of set, you know, that bag was coming out. And that bag, I haven't seen a rip or a tear on it yet. It is absolutely awesome. It's open on the top and it's just beautiful. You can get in and out, get stuff really easily. It fits all of my equipment. It's just the right length, not too long, just long enough. Um, and I haven't been able to destroy it yet. So a uh, big shout out to Chris at Coyote Trapping School. And I would highly recommend this bag. I think it's like 60 bucks. I can't remember what he's charging for it, but go to coyotetrappingschool.com. Or you can email him, Chris, K-R-I-S, at coyotetrappingschool.com. Uh, let him know that uh, Jeremiah recommended this, this short liner trapping bag, and you'd like to buy one, where can you get it? So uh, check check that out. Um, that's going to be my bag, man. That's um, All it took was trying it out this season. I'm sold. Um, if I wear it out in a couple years, hopefully Chris is still making them, and I'll buy one from him. Um, and continue on. So we talked about the hammer, the earth anchors, the traps, the bag, lure and bait. I have so much lure and bait, I don't even know what to do with it. Um, I got more and more and more than I need. And I started out and I did not keep good track of what I put at each set. I just made an effort to have a different lure and bait and a different option uh, rotating on, on different traps uh, sets that I had. So I'd go to an area, if I had two sets, I'd, I'd use a different lure um, at each set, and I'd go down the road and I'd use another a new lure there, and I'd maybe rotate three or four sets in a row, and then I'd go back to where I started, something like that. I just wanted to give the animals some different options. Um, I used uh, Halseth lures, I used O'Gorman's long distance call some. I use Russ Carmen's circle maker. 
and I used Cotsbros. And uh, Kyle uh, Kellen was was extremely helpful. I had um, I had some of his 99 Coyotes that I was using. I I really I was using that as some of my flat sets, and I really like that at the flat sets. I think it um, it provides a a combination of scent from different parts of Coyote, and I I like the smell of it. I think it it was very effective. But Kellen, about halfway through the season, through my 10-day well, season, whatever it was, all of a sudden I get a box show up at my house from Kellen Cotts with the box full of tra- coyote trapping lures. Um, so that was really, really awesome. That was quite a pleasant surprise, and he gave me several different lures to try out. I did use those, and they were very effective, and I caught critters on them. Again, I did not keep perfect track of what I was using, um, at every set, but uh, but I did catch catch fur on, I, as far as I know, all the all the lures that I used. So Kellen had the 99 coyotes. He had um, what else did I use? I used uh, Toxie Dog, Wicked, which is a really awesome smelling lure as well. It's more of a a gland, mink gland based lure, and then this other this new lure that is a prototype this is something kellen has used on his line he's kind of developed it and uh, it is not for sale it's called chaos uh, he says it's a unique blend of glands and musks phenomenal on coyotes grays reds coon and particularly effective on otter and bobcats um, he's had excellent results down a dirt hole or smeared on any number of backings at both dirt holes and a variety of flat sets and i use that chaos I, there's there's something about that lure. There's something in it that uh, there's a, there's just some sort of a strong. Uh, I don't know how to describe. It's it's sort of a a sweetness maybe, but not sweet. I don't I don't know how to describe it. I I've smelled it in other lures, and I can't quite put my fingers on the the combination of ingredients that. Uh, that is in there that I probably should know, um, but it it's really attractive, um, and and obviously you know it it's worked for Kellen. I haven't trapped used it enough to to say that oh this is the greatest lure ever, um, but <clears throat> it's got a heck of a good smell to it, and I used it on my line and I caught coyotes. So anyway, th- those are uh, those are some of the things that I tried out for baits and lures. I had. Or lures. I had a variety of lures. Uh, for baits, I used mostly beaver meat um, in places where I had baits, and so there was were some beavers that I had got a hold of early in the season. The beaver season only started a few days before the coyote season, uh, but got a few beavers and uh, cut cut those up into chunks for for meat uh, for bait. Um, I did use a little bit of my uh, trapping today predator bait. I actually I still have a little bit of that that I'm selling, but I'm gonna phase out of that. I don't I'm not don't really get excited about making that bait, and um, I'd rather just make the lure and and sell sell the lure because honestly, I make the lure for I make that when I make my own lure to use on my trap line. You know I just make ten times what I need. And then I sell it, but I just make the same lure, but I make a bigger batch, and that's what I use. Uh, with the bait, a lot of times, you know, I made that bait, and it was a specially prepared bait, and I ground up beaver meat, 
and I mixed in a bunch of different ingredients and everything and bait solution and preserved it and all that. But when I'm out on my trap line, I'm not taking 16 ounce jars of bait um, or bottles of bait. Uh, I am, I'm taking a five gallon pail and uh, I'm using a fair amount of bait. And I use the same, you know, I use bait like that for coyotes uh, and fox. I use bait uh, for Martin and Fisher. I'll use a lot more, a lot larger quantity because the weather's colder and uh, you got to do things to draw them in. Um, but I, but most for the most part, I'm just using meat that I have on hand that I've caught recently. So uh, it's it's kind of an extra hassle, and it's it's something that if I don't regularly use it, then I'm probably not going to sell it. So I've kind of I I haven't made any more of that bait uh, to sell, and I probably won't make it in the future. Um, we'll we'll kind of see how that goes. But anyway, um, that's that's kind of what I use for bait now types of sets and this is kind of interesting when I was back in the day um, I learned how to coyote trap the only thing we did was dirt holes dirt hole sets that's a hundred percent every single set that I made was a dirt hole set because that's what I learned that's what my mentor had taught me to do and that's all he did and guess what it worked it caught coyotes um, however it probably wasn't the most effective thing and the thing what I come back to uh, a lot of times is the the whole idea of that 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 single mindset of just dirt hole sets Uh, really at the time I had no idea but it cost me a lot of coyotes because one year when I was coyote trapping I it was a year where the bears were out late and the bears were not in hibernation and I had some bears on my line and I was running like a couple dozen sets and I had mornings where almost every single trap was set off because the bears found out that there was bait in that dirt hole and they would go in, they'd step over the trap, of course they get those big paws that aren't going to get caught or even if they get a toe caught they usually pull right out. Uh, They set the trap off and then they take all the bait from the hole and they go on to the next spot and they go down the road and they smell your next set and they go in and take bait out of that and they do that and so I would have areas where the majority there were nights the majority of my traps were not working they were not uh, there available to catch coyotes because they'd already been set off by a bear Um, if I had used flat sets back then if I knew what a flat set was which I didn't when I first learned to trap uh, that I, I would have probably had half my sets that were still operating even when that those bears had gone through. So that that was uh, that was a big eye opener. And this year, I I got you know I I got a little bit knowledgeable on flat sets just uh, watching different videos and and um, watching demonstrations. Uh, the big the big thing for me was Kel, uh, Kellen Kotz's video, the flat set fix. Because it allowed me to visualize um, what uh, a flat set looked like in a bunch of different variations. And then I kind of took that and used, uh, I adapted those methods to Northern Maine. And we have different regulations. You know, we can't, uh, we can't use, I don't believe we can use like a T-bone or an animal bone is considered a visual attractor during the early season. Uh, The things like that, we, we have to have our backing can't cause entanglement of the animal that sort of thing so there's there's a lot to consider um, but 
just being able to see Kellen make a bunch of different flat sets, it just made me comfortable in uh, coming up with my own flat sets on my line. And um, thinking back to it, um, I believe I caught half my coyotes in flat sets and half my coyotes in dirt holes. And so, so that was really good. That was good to know that flat sets were just as effective as dirt holes. Um, and uh, I was able to incorporate them both, and they both worked quite well. So uh, a lot of cases what I would do is I'd have uh, a location where I'd make two sets, one flat set, one dirt hole. Um, and there were other areas where I would just make flat sets. And the the reason for that was the ground was so hard and so rocky, I could not dig a dirt hole. And so there were situations, there are actually situations, if I had been able to dig a dirt hole, um, I would have caught more coyotes. And I, I, I will discuss in a future episode, probably next episode, about these situations where I really was limited um, in in using uh, these set these dirt hole sets and, and having a lot of bait stolen because I couldn't get that hole deep enough, get that bait hard enough to get at. And so so that was definitely a challenge, but there were situations where um, I couldn't get a dirt hole in the ground, so I had to make a flat set. And the, the drawback of the flat set, of course, is you don't necessarily have the animal working that set as much and putting his feet down as many times as you do at a dirt hole. But it opens up an opportunity in places where you wouldn't otherwise be able to make a set and places where a dirt hole just is not going to be as effective or where you're going to have non-targets get caught in a dirt hole. So uh, the the uh, 2019 round of Coyote Trap and I definitely opened up my horizons and used the flat set uh, as much as I did the dirt hole. Now I'll be really quick in these last couple of items that I have and then in next episode I'll go into more detail on some of the lessons that I, I learned or am still learning as a result of this, this trap line. But um, dirt, absolutely wax dirt is like magic. And in I was only able to make a certain amount of wax dirt in the preseason. Winter came early here again and uh, I had I didn't have as much wax dirt as I needed. Uh, but lesson learned, I, I will do more next year. I promise myself that I will. But wax dirt is awesome. Uh, we didn't have freezing conditions in that early season. Uh, but we did, well, we did have some freezing, but it was it was pretty minimal. The, the big issue we had was rain and like three inches of rain in one storm where everything was completely waterlogged. And we'll, we'll go into that a little more uh, in next episode. But that was very challenging. However, I found that the traps operated better with wax dirt covering them uh, after a rainstorm than they did without. So, so even absent freezing conditions, the wax dirt did help, seem to help me. Um, and pan covers, uh, I, I, I still have not figured out what I like for a pan cover. And we will do, I decided I'm going to do an entire episode in the future on pan covers in general. Uh, but just a, a quick note, I started with wire screen pan covers. I transitioned some to uh, no pan cover and polyfill under the pan. And I also used oversized pans uh, in, in some on some traps as well. I don't know yet exactly what I like 
the most, and I need to uh, I need to to work more on that and and come up with that decision. Um, I I have a lot of thoughts on that, and we'll we'll go into that next episode. Um, but that that was pan covers. Still a lot to learn there. Uh, but overall, yeah, those are the things that uh, that that have changed from the time that I started coyote trapping way back in the day, and then kind of flashing forward in the time machine and getting back into it. Those are the things that I've started to learn, and I've got lots more to learn. But this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I had success. I there were a lot of coyotes around, and I was able to catch a number of them, and I was really happy about that. I was excited. I still am excited. Uh, it was it was long and hard. It was daily checks, three three and a half hours every morning before work. Um, that that does wear on you after a little while. If you you can't really relax, you just got to go go go. But yeah, overall, it was an excellent experience. I learned a lot, and I hope that these uh, little tidbit tidbits of advice uh, may help some of you as well. So with that, thanks so much. Uh, we will talk more about coyote trapping in the next episode. Um, oh, another thing that I thought about. If you guys uh, are like me and you're partway through trapping season and you've had some experiences so far and, and you want to just chat about it, uh, why don't you let me know? Maybe you want to get on the episode, on the podcast and, and uh, we'll just talk for a few minutes and, and throw it on a future episode about your trap line, what it's like, and what you're catching, what you're learning, successes, failures, uh, interesting things, uh, and whatnot. So uh, give me a shout out, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. If you are interested in that, if you want to maybe have a conversation, come on the podcast and just talk about your trap line, uh, we could do maybe do a little back and forth there. So um Anyway, with that, thanks again for tuning in. If you need trapping lure, I've got a few bottles left of my long-distance call lure. You find it at trappingtoday.com or at uh, just go on eBay and search trapping today long-distance call. You'll find it there. And until next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, get out there and set some traps. We'll catch you on the next episode.